Welcome back to Blue Ocean Talks. My name is Ron Efron. I'm here again with my colleague and good friend, Avihai Seri. This week, we're continuing on our cast related to strategies to improve security. In our last cast, we went over the first four points. And in this cast, we're going to continue on. So, Avihai, uh, we had a good cast last time. We're going to continue on this time. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, it's it was it was a lot of uh, information, and um, I think it was a good decision that we uh, took to to split it into two uh, sessions. Basically, if we just want to run through the, the the topics that we brought up uh, in our last podcast, we were talking about conducting regular risk assessments, implement access control, meaning different types of uh, access control network and facility develop and implement smart security policies and procedures. We dived into what did that what does that mean? Invest in employees and trainings, increase awareness. Obviously one of the things that all companies um, feel is uh, there's a big problem with uh, finding good talent and um, that's that's part of it. And now we got to the next point where, uh, we wanted to bring up to talk about conducting regular security exercises and audits. That is right. So, so, so Ron, if if you could give a little bit of a of a brief of how do you see the regular security exercises from the past till today? How do you see that landscape look like? Well, this is similar to the whole training effort, where it doesn't really cost a lot of money. It's relatively, in some ways, it's easy to do. In some ways, it's sort of complicated to do, but it really is helpful. It helps to create more awareness. It helps to sharpen people's ability to react, and uh, it just improves security all around. The best examples that we've seen you know, forever, even when we were kids in school you know, a long time ago, was the fire drills. You know, a few times a year, a school would do a fire drill. Companies still do them today, and, and most buildings still do them. That is kind of the best or probably the the most well-known kind of example of what this would be. It could be anything that keeps you on your toes, really. I don't know if you remember, but back in the day in the Army, we used to say something along, along the lines like, the more we sweat in training, the less we'll bleed during war. Meaning, right, the more you're trained to do something and you're aware and you're, you're, you're sort of conditioned, the better you're going to react when a true crisis happens. Yeah, and I also think that uh, a point here is that as an individual, even if you read the manuals, the procedures, even if you go and do those kinds of drills as an individual, it's one way. But when you talk about a security issue and the mass needs to move around from one from point A to point B, um, that's where things become more uh, complex, and that's why you really need to practice it. Yes, that that's absolutely true, and. Depend, this really depends on your business and on your risk assessments and your, on your risk profile and what you need to um, sort of be practicing for. And so going back to what are your risks, what are potential issues, and then based on that, try to basically practice and exercise and do audits. So audits can be straightforward, just checking issues. But the point that we want to bring up here is really that the element of practicing. So some examples might be, Create fake phishing emails and send them out to people in your organization and see what happens. After that, do a little bit of postmortem. So, okay, well, how do, how do we react to that? What do we see? And then so people could be more aware of that when they see such emails. Or 
similar types of social engineering types of activities, you know, getting a call uh, from people, because we know that those are well-used uh, points of uh, weakness that hackers can exploit. Is there is there any uh, regulator in this area? Someone that comes in like a third party and does a full assessment and basically uh, even certifies the facility to be in some kind of standard? Is there such a thing? There could be. I mean, some industries like banking, for example, are, are uh, chemicals. Is there, there are. Now it depends on the country. There are a lot of uh, private certification today, like uh, ISO type of certifications that are around uh, security. Um, and that's that's doable, but I don't think that really helps the full organization and people to really truly become aware. Like when you're really practicing something and somebody's dealing with that, they will remember it better in the future. They will, it'll be in their mind. And if something like that really happens in the future, they'll be able to react to that. So that's, you have that element like red team type of activities, either on the network or, or actual like coming to a reception or sending emails. When you have other things like people trying to pose as guests and trying to, um, um, trying to tailgate, for example, into a facility. Other examples might include like dealing with a, an emergency. So a fire drill is like how you deal with a fire. What happens if there is uh, other types of um, emergencies? In the USA, schools are doing such drills for active shooters, right. sadly. And other countries don't see that. But if you're in a country where it's prone or you might have an individual come and atta- attack the reception, how are you prepared for that? When that happens, what do you do? You don't want to be in a situation where when something like that happens, the guards are looking at each other and not really knowing what to do. So yeah. basically just practice, practice, practice. It's like going to the gym. It's being aware. It's like everything else in life. The more you practice, the better you're going to be when it really matters. So this actually leads us to the next point that's uh, implement a security incident response plan. And my question to you is, who is responsible in the organization to create such a plan? Great question. Great question. So this is really referring to like an SOP, like a standard operating procedures for security incidents. Many companies have them. Some companies do better than others. Some companies have them and then they're in a drawer somewhere and they're really not, you know, it's pulled out. Some, when, some have folders from uh, the 1990s that haven't been uh, reviewed right. since then. So look, different companies do do this in different ways. But it is a good practice to do it. This should not be for compliance purposes only. It should be practical and real for your situation. If you need to do one nice for compliance, maybe have a separate one for that. <laughs> but who is responsible for that? It generally falls on the security director if there is uh, such a role in an organization. Um, but I would suggest that it should not be only the responsibility of the security director, but this should be done together with other representatives throughout their organization, people from logistics, uh, from operations, from accounting, et cetera, and also be aware of it, understand their part in that plan. And it could be many things. Like if somebody, if a certain director, something happens to him or her and she dies in an accident, for example, what happens? Immediately, what happens? Or if we lose access to something, what happens? If we're attacked, either from a digital cyber perspective or in the real world, what do you do? If there's a flood or a hurricane, again, what do you do? And we know from experience, those companies that do this well, they are back in business and running faster than those that don't. 
So it's proven uh, and it's very important. So basically we're saying here that the response plan is is basically a ongoing plan that's always being reviewed and added on top to it using um, different departments as well. Maybe the security director is the one that's maybe uh, like orchestrating or- it, orchestrating all of it and bringing it all together. But it's a company-wide effort, basically. That's true. But I will say that if the if this is not important to the CEO or to the head, you know, the top manager or to the board of directors or to the owners, then it probably won't get a lot of attention, unfortunately. Even though it it should. So I, one thing so, that we that we do we did see um, happening in the in the last years is that the whole uh, cybersecurity threat the role of information security officer, a CISO, is something that has been created and that basically creates someone on the C-suite level that is focused on managing the security around the data and the the entire organization information aspect. Hmm. So I would assume that also these days, the security, the facility security director would have a very tight relationship with such a role. Yes, they should. And there are like CSOs, like uh, chief security officers as well, depending on the organization. Such a plan should include uh, cyber elements to that and uh, physical elements to that. I would recommend to review it at least once a year and to try to have it role-based almost. Like, for example, uh, when such an incident happens, what needs to happen? And different people may need to react in different ways depending on what the issue is and make sure those people understand it. They're practicing it, and they know what to do when when uh, when the shit hits the fan, like they say. <laughs> um, yeah. Another interesting point here is that with the rise of like PSM or like these systems or like uh, security operation control center software platforms, it has been digitalized in many organizations. This incident uh, response plan or the SOP. So in many organizations today, or we're seeing this trend, I should say, that if you're in a security operations center and an incident comes up, there will be right in front of you, it's like, okay, this is what you need to do. Do one, do two, do three, and you have to react to that. And that makes it a little bit better. So they don't have to go and take out a binder and open up to page 35 and look at it. And it says, go to page 17. So it is done, or there, we are seeing a trend of this being digitalized, where the yeah. system will actually tell the operators in this pay, in this example, like the first responders are the are the security officers that are, are that are monitoring the system. It'll literally tell them on that point, okay, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and that's documented, and it could be reviewed for insurance purposes and everything. So, I believe that's a great trend. It makes it easier to deal with uh, um, emergencies, and I would hope that. To see more and more organizations, not just the large organizations, but mid-sized and small organizations implement such um, plans as well. I think that's a that's a valid point that uh, maybe we would create a, another podcast about it. But basically, there are some that, uh, that we've seen as well that assume that if they uh, see this kind of product in the market, and they understand that it solves this problem that you're just talking about, meaning you're you're move, you're digitalizing basically the whole response plan. But on the other hand, someone needs to come in place and and digitalize it, meaning it's not only implementing that system. You have to also start keying in those procedures and making it work um, for your organization. 
Right. And that leads us actually to the next point. And, and I'll start with the question is that do the security departments have that capacity and maybe even the skill set to prepare and to, to set up such a complex setup? That's a good question. I guess it depends on the organization. What we see is quite a lot of companies, they may outsource their incident response plan to a consultant. And a consultant comes in and, and sort of writes up something for them. Most of these are probably sort of templatized, like templates, and not necessarily specifically for your organization. If you're going to do it really deep and specific for your organization, that might become very expensive. It would be better for the organization to do it themselves if possible, because it's a good exercise, although it's difficult. And possibly have a consultant sort of review it for to find some gaps or some holes, as opposed to just outsourcing it. It's a bit lazy, to be honest. But you know, that that's also that's better than nothing, I guess. That sort of leads us to the next point, like consider outsourcing. But sort of um, in terms of the instant response plan, once you have a plan, if you want to digitalize it, so for example, like in Blue Ocean, if we're helping a company set up their SOC, their Security Operations Center, we would help to input that. There's ways of doing that in a more efficient way. Um, that's something that we would help with, but that, that'd be part of a project itself. In terms of outsourcing, there's another trend that we're seeing where many organizations are becoming more and more lean or where you're seeing more security teams becoming smaller, but at the same time, they're being asked to do more and more. So how do they deal with that? Either they have to become a lot more efficient or and add more systems to help them deal with such bigger workload. But another option to consider is outsourcing or using embedded services. Companies like Microsoft, for example, there's a large portion of their actual workforce in their office are what they call outsourced employees, the people that they're working full-time in their organization, but they're actually employed by a different company. You could do the same thing for your security team. And we see various flavors of this. It could be something like something simple, like managing a SOC, like a security officer, for example. But it could be more complex, like having somebody do project management or programming or even becoming a regional security manager, for example. You're really anything that you need assistance with, there are companies out there that can help you with outsourcing. So basically, I would say a thumb rule would be that if you don't have that kind of expertise in-house, it might not be worth it, worth it to invest in converting someone to be an expert in that, in that aspect. It might be better to... Um, outsource that part of your responsibilities and and hire someone to do that for you. Mm. Well, you, you also might have a situation where you simply don't have the headcount. You're not allowed to hire more people. Right. But your company might be more lenient. They might allow you to hire a service provider to work in your company full time. Now, it, this might not be right for everybody. All I'm trying to say here is take it as an option. Talk to some of your service providers that you already trust. Ask them about this and see what they could do for you. There are benefits in outsourcing. Uh, for example, uh, it's more of an OPEX, an operation cost, and it's a direct operation cost. And for example, in Blue Ocean, when we offer such services, we provide a lot of backup support as well. Meaning we're not just staffing, we're also doing training, we're making sure there's ongoing training, uh, there's a backup support mechanism in place. If something happens to that person, we can provide a... Uh, some a replacement, for example. 
So we put a lot of thought into that to make sure the client really gets a lot of value out of that service. So to the last point about about how to be uh, more strategic in improving your corporate security, I think that this is something that um, might be obvious to many, but um, I don't know how much focus it really the security directors have on this, but staying up to date on the latest security threats and trends. Yes. Um, so how do you how do you see that happening obviously in the bigger companies there's there might be some more official channels for that and i would say that probably vendors proactively approach them and try and push to them the the knowledge but if we're talking about other industries how how would you suggest them to really be uh, up to date and feel comfortable with the knowledge that they have mm. well you're absolutely right this is kind of obvious and many people do this without even thinking about it. But I think it's still it's still right to mention this and to be proactive about it. And there's there's many ways to approach this. If you're a large company, you already have an SOC, you might be buying intelligence services from a third party that feed give you feeds in terms of threats, like on the moment threats that's going on in your region. But I'm talking, you know, bigger than that. For example, not just the threats, but what's going on in your industry in terms of technology trends. Uh, geopolitical trends, uh, people trends, et cetera, that may have an impact on security. It's not just about reading magazines, et cetera, but for example, you can join your local ASSIS chapter. ASSIS is operating. They have chapters almost everywhere around around the world. It's a great place to to participate. They add a lot of value and you meet like-minded people or people in your industry. I know, for example, in Asia, there's a group of the international schools that come together and talk about and share information about security and security risk. They get together once a year in a conference, and that's great. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Everybody's sharing their experience. It's well worth the time to participate in something like that. You also have other informal networks. I know where security directors get together for a drink once in a while, and they talk about what's going on in their region. And you can be even competitors. There's no reason I know for for a fact that the security teams of Apple and Microsoft, they might talk once in a while because they have shared risks. So that's always very important. Sounds good. Any any other points you think that uh, we missed that we didn't cover here that we might want to add? Security is a dynamic force. There are always evolving threats. There are always things happening. And we have to be on our toes. And the worst thing you could do is is to feel too comfortable where you are. And in our industry, be it as a supplier side like us or on a client side, we all have to work on these points in order to make our organizations and in general, the world as a whole, to be more safe. And it's really up to us to uh, make that happen. Thank you. We covered a lot of topics here. I hope hope that we were pretty clear about it and if anyone has any other questions ideas suggestions for in general about our podcast specific about their security solutions feel free to reach out to us thank you Avichai. until next time